So we're talking about angels and demons. We've been talking about demons specifically and how they influence our life, how they control our life, and then what we can do to counteract that so that we can stay free of their influence, of their control in our life. That's what we want to do. We were designed by God to be free. We were saved uh, by the blood of Jesus so we could live free, but we still have these demons that attempt to control our life, and many believers are controlled to a great extent uh, by these demons, and we don't want to be those individuals. So we've been learning in the last three weeks, number one in your notes, God puts a fence around us as his children to protect us from demons. So when I became a Christian, that fence went up. It went up around you as well, a hedge of protection around us by God. But there are gates in it, and only one who can open those gates is us. I can open the gates that are in that fence that allow demons access to my life. And so they tempt us by talking to us. That's what they do. There's nothing magical, nothing. It's just They just talk to us. We hear them in our thoughts. And so when they're from... Uh, from me to Matt Bain, you know, I'm, I'm hard of hearing. In fact, the battery in this hearing aid went dead about 15 minutes ago. But I don't have any here, so I can only hear out of this ear this morning. And so if I don't want to hear you, I just look this way, and you're in another world. So they just talk to us, and we hear them, and we hear them in our thoughts. The closer they are, the louder those thoughts are, the more predominant, the more controlling uh, they are, and the more apt they are to keep that thought going. It's the repetition of a thought that motivates us, moves us, tempts us. One thought doesn't do anything, but when that thought pops into our head and then we go back and revisit it and rethink about it and go over it and over it, and pretty soon it controls our behavior. So the closer they are, the more influence they're going to have in our lives. So we want to keep the gates closed. So they're out there a ways, and it's eh, not that big of a deal. We manage it quite quite fine. Number two, we can can and should close those gates that we opened by sinning. And so we talked uh, specifically about anger, and that one's clear. Uh, If we don't take care of anger, we give the devil a foothold, legal jurisdiction in our life. Bitterness, the same thing. If we have bitterness, then God actually turns us over to demons to torture us. In Matthew 18, that's not a good thing. And so you want to make sure you forgive anybody of anything, everybody of everything. Because if you don't, then you are opening yourself up for increased temptation from demons. And then and, and two weeks ago, we looked at immorality we looked at uh, pornography we looked at a, in fact it comes down to the fact that almost every sin repeated is going to open up a gate and give them access to our life and so we want to close those gates number 3 even though the kingdom of darkness is powerful we can win the war every day as we apply principles of spiritual warfare that we learn from the bible we can win the war easily if we understand the rules and apply them to our life And so this is uh, unrelated to the lesson this morning, and so it's free. Um, You don't have to pay anything for this next point. Starting tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock is our five-day prayer event over in the D.C. building upstairs. We're going to pray from 5 in the morning till 10 in the morning, and then we're going to pray from 5 in the afternoon to 10 in the 
evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday will uh, end it early at 7 and come over here and have a communion service. And so many, many individuals talk to me about the fact that they have this nervousness, this fear about going into that room and praying. And I just say, you know where that comes from? Demons can create fear in your life. That's one of their tools. They do, they do not want you praying. They hate prayer. They have no defense against prayer. And so when you get close to that prayer room, you're going to feel this. Don't let those dudes win. Don't let them win. Don't let them boss you around. Walk right in there. Sit down. Listen to what's going on. If you don't like to pray out loud, just listen and agree. You won't be in there for very many hours and you will be clean. You've heard me say this before. I like the term, it's spiritual sheep dip. If you have a sheep with ticks on it, run them through a dip and the ticks are gone. You got a bunch of Klingon demons bugging you, go in there and say for two or three hours, they're out of there. You'll be clean. It's a great way to close the doors. Just go in there and sit and they can't, they, they won't stay there. They can't handle that. And so you get nervous, ignore it. Bite the bullet, walk in there, sit down, and uh, stay in there as long as you need to until you get free of that oppression in your life. Uh, Zechariah chapter 10, verse 5. They will be as mighty men, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. They will fight for the Lord will be with them. <clears throat> Psalm six, uh, chapter 60, verse 12. Through God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our adversaries. Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Number four, a major part of our winning the war is wearing our protective armor so that we're not vulnerable to the attacks of the devil and his demons. The major part of Paul's writing about demons in Ephesians 6 has to do with this armor that he admonishes us to put on. It's quite a powerful passage when you look at the results of it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your mother-in-law, your boss, your husband, your wife, your parents, your kids. It's not people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So these demons that are around us, heavenly places, this air that we breathe... They're around us all over the place. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Twice he says that. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up... Take uh, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, what you don't want to do with that passage is turn it into a hocus pocus, uh, magic saying formula that you uh, 
I, I hear it all the time where people say, yeah, I, I put on the armor of God this morning. What, 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 what do you mean? Well, I just, you know, I, I read the passage and I, I just put it on. It's a, uh, you know, living the Christian life is a life of principles, of discipline. It's not a magic formula kind of a saying that you say that all of a sudden now, ah, I've got it. So you know the term disciplines. I use it a lot. A discipline is something that you do that you don't like to do. A discipline is something you do that your flesh hates to do. Reading your Bible every day is a discipline. And it's obvious that it is because many Christians don't do it. It's not that they don't know how to read. It's not that they don't believe in the Bible. It's just that their flesh doesn't want to do it. They'd rather watch TV or whatever. And so it's a discipline to read your Bible every day. It's a discipline to spend 15 minutes with Jesus every day in prayer. And so these basic disciplines of the Christian life are basically what this armor is. It's a lifestyle. It's a habit. It's a way of living your life habitually every day. And when you do those disciplines faithfully every day, you become a strong person. You become a free person. You become a person whom the devil has zero influence on because you're faithfully practicing these basic disciplines of the Christian life. Number five, putting on the armor of God is not a daily Christian ritual, but faithfully practicing spiritual disciplines that become habit than a way of life. Sometimes people will say, how about five days a week? Can I read my Bible five days a week? Take Saturday and Sunday off? Yeah, yeah, you can do anything you want. But you remember the journey. I'll give it to you again. You probably forgot. Starts over here. Dry as dirt duty. Always starts here. It's the only place it starts because we're flesh, we're people, we're sinners over here. Dry as dirt duty. That means you've got accountability, you make goals, you make charts, you put things on the wall to remind you, string on your finger, whatever. Dry as dirt duty. And you keep it up, and it becomes habit. Habit. I've got some good habits, and I've got some bad habits. That's things you do. Pretty soon, you just do it. And habit, maintain the habit, and pretty soon, it becomes delight. That's who you are. That's what you do. You love it. You can't not do it. Everybody wants to start over here. You can't start here. You have to start over here, dry as dirt duty. But if you do five days a week, it's going to stay dry as dirt duty. It never moves to habit. Nothing moves to habit that you do five days a week. Habit is every day, every day, every day. Read your Bible every day, every day, and it becomes habit. That's what you do. Becomes delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's what you want to become. These disciplines move from dry as dirt duty, habit, to delight. But that's because you do them every day. Every day. Every day. You have accountability. You have covenant groups. You make goals. You make it happen until it becomes habit and delight. 
And when you get those down, those disciplines, then you are a powerful, independent, free tool of God doing great things with your life. Number six, the first piece of armor mentioned is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt kind of holds everything else on. I have a belt on my pants. If I don't have my belt on, my pants fall off. And then I, I would be hard to teach this class because you'd all be laughing. So Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Having girded your loins with truth. Now, some would guess off the top of their head, truth would be the Bible. That's mentioned a little bit later. The sword of the spirit. Number seven, to gird your loins with truth is to faithfully practice the discipline of examining our lives for sin and confessing all known sin to God. Truth, that's what you really are. That's what you do. That's how you act with no cover-up, with no pretension. It's truth. This is who I am. You look in the mirror. Ah, yeah, that's who I am. We don't like the truth. We would rather ignore the truth. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, notice the first word. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have this fence all around you that keeps the demons out and you got gates in it. You open up a gate. What's the gate? A sin that you commit, anger, bitterness, whatever. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess those sins, he, God, forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness um, and all sin. Poof, the gate gets closed. gate gets closed. It's a pretty simple procedure. But there's a problem. We don't like to do that. We would rather blame our wife. Yeah, it's her fault. She did it. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have done it anyway. Number eight, the spiritual war that we are, fo- that, uh, that we are in follows rules of engagement. I watched the football game between Oregon and Washington Friday. I don't know who you were rooting for. I was rooting for Oregon because I live in Oregon. And I thought, well, if they won, they would get to end up in the national championship. They didn't win. So now Washington's the national. You watch the game. There was these guys with striped shirts running around the field, blowing whistles, throwing yellow flags. You broke a rule. Yellow flag. You broke a rule. Those rules, are man, sometimes get to be a pain in the neck. But that's what keeps the game square is the rules. 2 Timothy 2.5 if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And so we live life like playing a football game. There are rules. And we need to know what the rules are. God made them. The devil knows them. And uh, he operates by them as well and the negative side of it, trying to get us to break those rules so our life gets messed up. 
Number nine, one of the key rules is that our sin gives the devil increased legal access or jurisdiction in our life. Circle that point in your notes. That is a huge rule in our life. When we sin, we swing the gate open. And now the propensity to do that same sin goes up. We look at it from our side and we call it addictions or whatever. It, and, and it becomes that in a sense, but we're being helped along by demons who have greater and greater control, access, influence, volume, as it were, in our life when we commit a sin, then do it again, then do it again, then do it again, then do it again. And they've, they've got us with a ring on our nose, leading us around, getting us to do pretty much what they want. Now we can break that, follow the rules. <clears throat> Ephesians four twenty six through 27 be angry yet do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger do not give the devil an opportunity an opportunity legal jurisdiction number 10 when we confess our sin God forgives us and we become legally righteous all grounds of demonic access are gone we close the gate now we have established a habit you establish a habit read the bible every day read the bible every day read the bible every day and you now have a habit of reading the bible but we also I get angry at my wife get angry at my wife get angry at my wife get, you know what I've just done I've established a habit great habit huh my wife says, you have a habit. I said, I do? What's that? You pick your nose. <laughs> really? I don't do it in front of people, do I? All of it, you do it while you're preaching. No. <laughs> if anybody sees me do that while I'm talking, you know, I'm just scratching it. Okay. In case you didn't know. So we, we establish habits by repetition. Now, I'm going to confess my sin, but I may have to do it again and again until I get that habit under control uh, and it's no longer part of my life. <clears throat> Psalms 32, 1 through 5. This is a great passage to memorize, by the way. I've memorized it and I go over it almost every day. How blessed. Did you know the word blessed, blessing, is in the Bible over a hundred times? But... The phrase, how blessed, only used in the Bible 12 times. You're not only blessed, you're how blessed. So take note of those. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven? Whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed. Woo! Did you see that? We got two how blessed right together. Did you know that that's the only place in the entire Bible where that's true? To how blessed, right there. That must be important. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, whose spirit there is no deceit. There is no deceit, that means truth. You're not pretending, you're not covering up, you're not ignoring, you're not renaming. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away. As with the fever heat of summer, I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Number 11, our natural tendency is to ignore, justify, blame, excuse, and rename our sin. So we have this built-in protection device. If I walk up to you and go like this, you're going to flinch. You won't be able to help yourself. It's automatic. You automatically attempt to protect your own reputation, your own glory, as it were, by renaming your sin, by blaming it on someone else, by declaring it, uh, the devil made me do it, or whatever. But we rarely own it 100%. That's what it means to confess. To own it. You did it. No excuses. No justification. No one to blame. And when you own it, and when you confess it as yours, then God forgives and cleanses. And you are legally, before him, clean. And the devil has no legal jurisdiction into your life. Now that is amazing that I have that ability, you have that ability to take a shower every day and to cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh, from all sin, simply by saying to the Lord, I did it. I'm the one who committed the sin. I have no excuse. Genesis 3.12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So we inherited it. All the way back to Adam. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man. Its end is the way of death. Deuteronomy twelve eight. You shall not at all do what you're doing here today. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Right in his own eyes. Twelve. If we hide from our sin, we will eventually hide from God. <clears throat> if we hide, ignore, justify, excuse, blame our sin and don't own it, our relationship with God will become increasingly more distant to the point where we uh, don't even acknowledge his presence in our life. Genesis 3, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why did they do that? The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I was a sinner. So I hid myself. Thirteen, as we ignore our sin, our heart becomes less and less sensitive to our sin. I used to have a friend who was a car mechanic back when I was in high school. And his specialty was Volkswagen Bugs, which I had one. And so I would regularly go to his little garage, his little shop, and help him on projects just to learn more about Volkswagen Bugs, my bug, and sometimes I would take it into him. And he would do something that I've never seen anybody else do. Uh, He's back working on the engine. It's running. And he wants to turn it off, but he doesn't walk around to the front and turn the key off, and so he would simply reach up there and grab a hold of a spark plug wire. And it would ground out that spark, and because it's just four cylinders, it would die. Do you know what will happen if you do that? You will scream like a little girl. And in fact, you will... 
Man, that bites something fierce. Those spark plug with. And uh, he would reach up there, grab a hold of that rascal, and just kill the engine. Wouldn't say, ouch, nothing. I said, how do you do that? He said, you just get calluses. Pretty soon, you don't feel it. Whoa. I tried it a couple times. There was no way. I mean, it would just absolutely knock me backwards on my rear end. That thing was so, uh, but he'd just grab it. Nothing, no problem whatsoever. You ever know people that can sin? Don't flinch a bit. Doesn't bother them one iota. They've gotten callous, their heart, their conscience. And that's what will happen to me and to you if we don't own our sin, if we don't confess our sin, if we don't acknowledge it, if we keep justifying it, excusing it, blaming it on someone else, pretty soon we can do it easier and easier. Pretty soon we don't even call it sin. Ever notice the things that people justify today in our culture? That's because they've become insensitive. Their conscience no longer uh, convicts them of that sin they've gotten calloused we can do that to ourselves. Matthew 15 14 Jesus says let them alone they are blind they're blind blind guides of the blind and if a blind man guides a blind man both will fall into the pit that's a great description of our culture today blind people guiding blind people and they're all falling into the pit 14, instead of ignoring our sin, we need to look for it diligently. Examining our own life for sin is an important part of being free from demons. <clears throat> I was, uh, oh, about 10 years ago, we were looking to buy a car. And we had saved up uh, $5,800. And so I was thinking, we can get a pretty good car for $5,800. And uh, I looked in the paper for cars, and I looked in the, you know, you always look over in the section with it, and there was a brand new car advertised for $5,800. And I thought, that can't be right. That's got to be a typo. So I called him. I said, the paper says you have a car for sale for $5,800 that's new. Is that right? It's right. Really? So I told Patty, I'm going to go look at this car. And as I walk out the door, she says, don't let them sell you something you don't want to buy. I looked at her and I said, why would I do that? She says, you do it all the time. <laughs> what am I, a sucker? So I bought that car. We still own that car. It's been the best car we've ever owned. It's got like 300,000 miles on it. Never had anything done to it except spark plugs changed, some minor kinds of things. Had a new clutch put in it, new belt put in it. Man, that's been a great car. We paid a little over 5,800. But it was a cheap car. You know why it was so cheap? I walked in there. I said, why is this car so cheap anyway? Well, it doesn't have air conditioning and it doesn't have power windows and it doesn't have power brakes and it doesn't have power steering and so you don't want this car I said yeah that's what I want my wife's car who cares huh? 
I think that's why it's lasted so long. It hasn't have all this other stuff on it. Examine your own life for sin. Examine your own life carefully for every little spot. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a man examine himself. Examine himself. 15. A condition of our flesh is that we easily see the flaws in others, but we don't see them in ourselves. Demons use that tendency to the max in causing disunity. Critical judgmental thinking about others is just, that's what we tend to do. That's because the devil is really helping us along in that one. Uh, you walk up and look at somebody, and you're going to have a thought pop into your head about them. Uh, the source is going to be this demon standing next to you. Uh, he's going to want to create this conflict. And we easily accept that kind of a thought. We're very prone to see the flaws in others, even little flaws, but not our own. Jesus says, Matthew, in Matthew 7, 3, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Revelation 3.17, because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't even realize. Number 16, we tend to exaggerate the flaws of others, minimize them in ourselves. So when you do that, Habitually, pretty soon you become blinded to your flaws. You can't see them. You don't know them. You don't uh, realize they're there. And therefore, it becomes impossible for you to confess your sins if you don't see your sins. It's impossible to be cleansed by God from your sins that you don't confess. You don't confess because you don't see, because you become blinded to yourself, because you never look at yourself. You're looking at others instead. And as you focus on other people and become a critical, judgmental person of other people, your ability to see you accurately with great truth becomes less and less uh, apt to happen. 17, this tendency causes us to become phony people, image managers. I teach parenting uh, seminars oh, about every other year. I'll do one. I'll probably do one this fall here. I'm going to do one at a church in Albany here in a couple of weeks. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I teach is that kids growing up in homes see parents who say one thing, act one thing, and live another. In other words, at home they're a person. Outside the home they're a different person. Outside the home they're the person, you know, that... Uh, the church says we should be. We act that way in church, wherever we are, but at home, we revert back to the real us. When kids see that in parents, they are going to have a phony faith like their parents. In other words, they're going to fall away. They will, guaranteed. Because their faith is not based on truth, it's just based on what they've been told that doesn't hold up. It isn't substantiated. So, and we do that. We become image managers. We project an image wherever we go uh, because we hang out with Christians. Uh, but the real us will come out 
when we're relaxing at home and then we poison the souls of those kids that we're raising. 18, our unconfessed sin reduces our prayer power with God. A lot of people, I do everything but pay them a million bucks to show up to five days of prayer and they won't do it. And one of the reasons is we intuitively know inside our soul or spirit if God listens to us or not. It's like talking on a cell phone. You're talking to somebody, pretty soon you have the idea, I don't think anybody's listening. I think we got cut off. Hello, hello, anybody there? Do you keep talking? No, you don't talk to nobody. And if you have this internal sense, God doesn't listen to my prayers, you won't pray. You won't show up to the five days of prayer. It doesn't do any good. Number one killer is unconfessed sin. If you have unconfessed sin, God doesn't listen to your prayers. You have zero horsepower with God, influence with God. He doesn't do anything in response to your praying, and you inside know it. You know it. So I can't beat you with a stick to get you to pray because you know it isn't going to do any good, so why go? Better solution is to examine your life and confess all known sin to God. Now, when you haven't been in the habit of doing this, it's going to start out a bit surfacy. But as you do it, you start peeling the layers off. You keep examining your life, confessing the sin, examining your life, confessing sin, and you'll get down to the core, and pretty soon you will be a very clean person, having been cleansed by God of all unrighteousness. But boy, you got to stay at it if you haven't done it for a while, because you've got a, quite a few layers to get through. <clears throat> 19, our unconfessed sin brings God's discipline into our lives. Our unconfessed sin brings God's discipline into our lives. I don't know if, about you, but I don't like the idea of being disciplined by God. It just doesn't sound any fun at all. I'm pretty sure it would show up in the number of fish I catch. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Let a man examine himself. A lady too. Examine yourself. If, if, if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now that is like a best deal I have heard in a long time. If I would take care of my sin, God wouldn't. If I don't, he will. If I would examine my life and confess sin to God, then he doesn't need to discipline me. But if I ignore it, if I justify it, if I excuse it, if I blame others for it, then he is going to discipline me for that sin. That motivates me. That really does. If I would examine my own life, confess my own sin, then God wouldn't need to get involved. Hebrews 12, 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges. Oh, that sounds like a fun word, doesn't it? He scourges every son whom he receives. 20. Our unconfessed sin causes guilt, which takes away our joy. We become grumpy old men. A lot of grumpy old people running around. 
grumpy people run around because they have no joy. And the reason they have no joy is because they don't know what it means to examine their own life for sin and confess it to God. Psalms 38, 17, I am ready to fall. My sorrow is continually before me. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Psalms 51, 7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. If we examine our life and confess all known sin to God, joy will be part of our life. But if we ignore it, if we justify it, if we excuse it, if we blame it, rename whatever, then joy is sucked out of our life by our sin. 21, our unconfessed sin takes away our energy and health. <clears throat> I got up yesterday morning at 6 o'clock. Woo-wee. The problem was Friday night, that's Friday night, I'm used to staying up late on Friday night because Saturday I get to sleep in and I forgot it was men's breakfast. Oh, I was going to skip it, but Matt Bain was speaking. I couldn't skip his lecture, so I got to go. Besides, I'm the pastor. You know, they expect me to show up. So I went to bed like at midnight, 1 o'clock, and then I got up at 6. I came down here to men's breakfast, and then I went home. You know what I did? I went back to bed. I slept till noon. My wife says, you're turning into a lazy old man. I said, yeah, I know it. I'm 75 years old. I get tired all the time. Do you know what's worse than getting old? Is not confessing your sin. Psalms 32.1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away. As with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a man examine himself. Examine himself. Let him eat of the bread. Drink of the cup. That's communion. After he does that. For he who eats and drinks. Eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many among you are weak. Sick and a number sleep. You know what that means? They're dead. You know who killed them? God did. I had said that one time. Somebody says, God doesn't kill people. He kills them all the time. You ever read the Bible? Many among you. This is the church, First Baptist Church of Corinth. Many. Are you weak and sick and a number sleep? But if we judged ourselves rightly, we wouldn't be judged. Many of you are weak and sick and dead because you don't examine your own life and confess your own sin. And the result, you're causing disunity in the church. 22, faithfully examining our life and confessing our sin will result in our being used by God to do his work. God does not use an unclean vessel to do his work no matter how great the need is. 
Now, my desire, I want to do more for God. I want him to open up doors, grant me opportunities. And so I make sure I stay clean. 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself, cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. 23, the most powerful motivation in life is our love for Jesus. Our faithful confession of our sin causes our love for Jesus to grow. Causes our love for Jesus to grow. Paul said, my love for Jesus controls my life. My love for Jesus controls my life. How great is your love for Jesus? What can you do to make it greater, stronger? Jesus tells a story, Luke 7, 40, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And so the more we confess our sin, the more we love Jesus. Uh, And that becomes a strong motivator in our life for what we do. 24, the bottom line is that the devil and his demons have an easy time with any Christian who has unforgiven sin in their life. If you have unforgiven sin because you failed to examine your own life, confess your own sin to God, he has his way with you. He leads you around uh, and gets you to do most anything he wants you to do. You will be minus joy in your life. You will be minus strength in your life. You will be minus health in your life. You will do very little for God that matters. 25, we need to make self-examination and confession of sin a daily discipline. And it will become a spiritual habit and then a way of life. It will be the belt of truth. So I don't confess my sins daily. Only the days I commit sins. So, so far I haven't missed a day. But I have a goal. I'm going to have a day in which I don't sin before Jesus comes. That's my goal. We'll see. And then if I don't confess, commit any sins, I don't need to confess any. So far, um, not there yet, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm working towards it. 26, it's always a good idea to ask God for help. One of the things we used to do in our marriage is we'd go out for dinner or lunch or breakfast and sit across from each other at the table, and I would say to Patty, what one thing do I need to work on to make you the happiest wife in the world? I'd always say one thing. And then she would share something with me that I did that created some... And uh, often it was a surprise. Really? I do that? You gotta be kidding me. She said it must have been true, so I paid attention. Psalms 139 23 Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me. 
That's a prayer. That's a good prayer to pray. 27, another important part of our dealing with our sin is to repent or to resolve that we won't commit that sin again. Now, we don't like to do that because we're afraid we will do it again, and we may, but it's still the key to growing. I did it. I committed it. Thank you for forgiving me. And I won't do that one again. Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Repents. Repents means I quit. I stop. I won't. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the iniquity, of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. 28, we may commit the same sin again, but if we don't repent of it, it is guaranteed that we'll commit it again. God loves commitment. His power flows to commitment. You begin to understand that your life is a journey you get angry, uh, you confess it, I won't do that again. And then a week later, oh, uh, you get angry, you confess it, I won't do that again. And then it's two weeks, and then it's one month, then it's two months, and then pretty soon you got it. It takes a while, it's a journey. You confess and you repent. We need to ask God 29 for his strength to keep our commitments. God loves to give power to those who make commitments. His power flows to commitment. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That's a cool verse. Jesus understands us. He sympathizes with us. With our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so I say, Lord, I won't do that again. Would you grant me the strength to keep this commitment? If you do it again, you confess it, you repent, ask for strength. And then you will move towards righteousness and holiness. But what we tend to do is we just ignore it and it gets bigger and the devil has more grip and more influence it's a simple it's a simple gift a simple tool a simple discipline but it is a discipline it needs to be practiced every day every day every day every day and we will move towards being righteous and holy and the devil will have little control over our life Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the gift you've given us of forgiveness. We were forgiven and adopted into your family when we became believers, when we trusted you as our Savior. But now as we live our life, Lord, we, we still sin, and, but you still forgive, and, but you want us to own it, to confess it. And when we do, we are free from the control of the evil one. Your power works in our life. Help us to be Faithful, responsible to develop that discipline to put on the belt of truth as part of the armor of God so that we can stand firm against the evil one. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.